Thank you for joining us. I'm Charlotte Wood, and I'm podcasting from the Bondec Montessori in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Today, we're talking about following through. And this is a phrase and a concept that gets bandied about a lot here at Bondec among the staff, and we've really come to recognize it as a huge tool for success, for the children, for us as staff, for the whole growth and well-being of all the children in our care individually and as group classroom groups. So following through is just a phrase, but what does it mean? Following through means um, I mean what I say. I am consistent, reliable, and trustworthy. I'm sending the message to the child with both my words and my actions that I see you. I see who you are and what you do. I've got your back and I'm here to help you. It really inspires in the children the idea, don't worry, I've got this. It's really important for children to have that sense of safety and the ability to rely on the adults in their environment. Because if we're not in charge, somebody has to be. And that's a lot of responsibility for a three or four or even a five-year-old to feel like, oof, the adults aren't paying attention. I guess I have to. And if you feel like the adults who are supposed to be overseeing your care aren't paying attention, well, that's a lot of anxiety inducing and it can give the message that you need to be responsible for yourself and for policing other people's behaviors. And so that's not a message that we want to send to children. We want to send the message that we are consistent and reliable and trustworthy. And the way we do that is by following through. If something's important enough to say, if something's important enough to ask a child to do, or a behavior we'd like to change, or something we'd like to see carried out by the child, if it's important enough for us to stop a child and change something, it's important enough for us to take the time and follow through. Children are always acting from their development. Sometimes it looks impulsive. Sometimes it is impulsive, but their development is what driving is driving them forward. And so if there's something so important for us to stop them in what they're doing and change direction, it's our responsibility to also remain consistent with that and to make sure it happens. There's a few reasons why. Following through helps children learn how to be in the classroom. For instance, there's a new two-and-a-half or three-year-old who needs to be brought back to his work a hundred times during the morning, reminded where the work goes, how to tidy the work up. No, it's time to tuck in your chair. What's wrong with your chair? Is there anything on the floor? Aided in finding a new work and then brought back to the table. This is where you can work. This is your work. No, are you finished with this? If you're not finished, this is still your work. If you are finished, let's put it away. So those reminders have to be given time and time again, and it takes a lot of energy and attention. And sometimes it can even seem like 
that effort of, oh, every time you get up from your chair, bringing that child back to the chair, what needs to happen before you pick up your work? What needs to happen? I'm going to show you how to tuck in your chair. This is how you tuck in a chair. You try. It can feel like it's not having any effect or the child's not attaching to it. But then that time they get up from their chair and they tuck in their chair and then pick up their work. You can see the results of following through of every time a child gets up, helping them to do things the right way. Uh, it helps to enforce good habits. You tuck in your chair, you walk around rugs every time. It's carrying one thing at a time every time. Judgment is learned. Judgment about what is good or bad uh, is, is learned. And it's our responsibility to help children to learn that. For instance, if a child is carrying something with one hand and things fall to the floor, they're learning that if you don't carry things the right way, they'll fall over. But that might not be enough of a reason for a child to carry something the right way. Oh, so my beads fell on the ground. No big deal. Uh, but what if on that tray there was something made of glass? And what if every time they carried it the wrong way, it shattered? It, they wouldn't have a good experience about how to carry things the right way. They also might not care whether or not things get broken. If you've just become accustomed to things falling over and getting broken, it's really not a problem when things fall over and get broken. That's a learned judgment that, oh, it, these things are important and we don't want things to fall because they are special to us and we take good care of our things. There's a clear example of a child wanting to be left alone. And there are myriad ways a child might respond in wanting to be left alone. But let's, let's pick three of um, ignoring that friend, hitting that friend, or asking politely. For a, a very young child, all three of those options are good options. But the only one that gets attached to is the one that works. So if when they ignore that friend, an adult comes in and intervenes and helps to guide the child away, the child who wants to be left alone is learning, oh yeah, well if I ignore the interruption, it'll disappear. Or another positive option, asking politely, please walk away from my work. I don't want to work with anyone else right now. And an adult is immediately there to help reinforce that, to help the child be listened to, and to help the interrupting child to find their own work, to observe without interrupting, whatever an alternative option might be, then that option is also now in the child's mind a good option. That judgment has been attached of this is a good option. If I want to be left alone, a good choice is to ask because when I ask, it gets followed through. But if those don't work, for instance, that same three-year-old child who keeps getting up from her work and goes and interrupts another child, that child tries to interrupt, and the child who wants to be left alone tries ignoring it, and that doesn't work. No adult is there to support that child. 
Or they say, I want to be left alone. Please stop bothering my work. And an adult is not there to help the child who wants to be left alone stop this behavior. Then another option suddenly becomes hitting. And that is, again, a valid option for this child because the two other options didn't work. And so the judgment of this is a good choice is only applied after a child sees that, oh, that worked and that I got what I wanted when I carried out this action. And so if a child doesn't get the result they want until they resort to options like hitting or yelling or doing anything else that is considered unsavory, but that's what they have to do in order to be left alone or in order to get what they want, those are the options that are left to the child. But if when a child says, please leave me alone, I don't want to be interrupted, an adult is immediately there to help enforce that for the child. That option of asking politely, of quietly making your needs heard to another individual, if that's supported by the adults in your community, that is the option a child will reach toward in moments of stress or in moments when they're being bothered or interrupted. And that's just one example of how following through can help a child, can support a child into making good choices. For a child, truly ignoring, hitting, and asking politely are all good options. It's up to us to help them determine what is the appropriate option and make sure that that appropriate option works every time by our support. It seems so simple. A child just not sitting the right way on a chair. Um, it, it seems like no big deal. What, why does it matter if she's sitting the right way on a chair or not? However, in a Montessori classroom, nothing exists in a vacuum. You can easily see the domino effect once you're attuned to it. And for better or for worse, you can't stop seeing the domino effect of different behaviors. Behaviors um, enforced or allowed in the children or encouraged or fostered in the children and actions on our own part as the adults in the classroom. A child not sitting the right way, perching on the edge of her chair or with her legs out in front of her, it, it doesn't look like that big of a deal. But I know if I'm sitting only halfway on a chair how can I concentrate when I'm halfway out of my chair? And how can I work purposefully when my work is out of my arm's reach? And all of the good work, all of the amazing things that we see children are capable of, the moments of learning and the, the moments of internal struggle mastered, that happens when a child's concentrating. And so if they have one foot out of, their out of the door when they're trying to work with a material... How can they concentrate? In terms of interpersonal relationships and the social development that happens within a monastery classroom, if you're playing with your work and in allowing someone to interrupt you, do you respect the great things you're learning and doing? 
If you're letting someone interrupt you, you're sending the message, this work isn't really that important. And if you're sending the message that this work isn't important, if you think, oh, it's okay if somebody interrupts me, are you respecting yourself? And if empathy is seeing yourself in the other and you aren't acting with respect for yourself, how can I expect you to respect others? We can see how interrupting somebody's work, even something casual, such as engaging a good friend in conversation or in a giggle, that can be seen as an act of disrespect. It's preventing learning from happening. It's preventing an individual's growth from happening. And isn't that why the children are with us? To learn and to grow and to develop, to develop self-respect, respect for others, strengthen that empathy that all these children are born with. It, it does seem so little. And we wonder, well, aren't I nagging a child by asking them to tuck in their chair every time? But if I ask a child to tuck their chair in every time, I'm also preventing children from being tripped. If you tuck in your chair and then you pick up your work, your chances are, you're not also dumping over your tray and scattering materials all over the floor. And if materials are being handled with care, you're walking a little taller. You're carrying yourself with a little more grace. You're seeing yourself as worthy of respect, as important, as able to do wonderful things. I know you're capable of great things. And you begin to see yourself in that same light. It's so much more than merely nagging a child to tuck in their chair or being punitive and asking them to sit the right way. No, no, we're looking for all that a child is capable of and we're setting them up for success in their learning, in their personal interactions, and in their safety and security in themselves. We do this not just for things that are still in process, things and habits that we want to see developed with children. Tucking in chairs is a common one, carrying things with two hands, walking inside the classroom. This is a place where we always, always walk. We're inside. It's time to walk. But this is also for good things. We follow through with those good things, noticing when a child has found their name on a cup and that's still a learning for them. You found your name! Or a child's working on a zipper and giving encouragement when we're all getting ready to go outside and I tell a child, how about you try? I know you can do that. And then even if I move away from that child, I stay connected with that child and provide a little bit of encouragement. See, you did it. I knew you could do it. How do you feel about yourself? That's also following through, giving a little bit of information of saying, I bet you can do that. How about you try? But I stay connected to that child. I make sure that when they do achieve that pulling up of a zipper or when I notice that they are struggling, this is beyond their current capabilities for this time or for this day. I'm there to support them by offering encouragement and affirmation or by offering a helping hand if they need it. Following through is also seeing what a child has recently achieved and, and mastered. 
and noticing not just those areas where they're in progress, but areas where they specifically excel. You've really mastered rugs. I saw how carefully you rolled that rug. My friend Sam needs help rolling his rug. Would you be willing to do that? I see you. I see who you are and I see what you do. For better or for worse, areas where you're still learning, areas where you've achieved great success, we're going to continue to stay connected to the child in all of these areas. This can be perceived as how children learn all the non-academic things in a Montessori classroom and even at home and in any area of their life where an adult is providing feedback, coaching, family relationships, even an older sibling. They're always learning, and this following through is how they learn those social norms, how to interact with others, what works, what doesn't. They're experimenting all the time, and this following through is how we can help guide that learning, that experimentation that's happening all the time for a very young child. Thanks for listening. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, and Instagram at Bondeck, and email us with comments, questions, and suggestions at hello at bondeck.org. We're also going to be holding a webinar on March 1st at 7 p.m. Central Time. We're going to be using Facebook Live to do that. We'll be talking about helping children learn to read, which is a topic near and dear to the hearts of families and educators and anyone who loves children. It's such an amazing achievement, and we play an important role in helping children with this. We'd love to have you join us. If you're interested, visit our Facebook page to sign up. Until next time.